you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. All right, let's uh, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 5. We happened to be there just a few days ago, but we're going back again. Different story. I take that back. We were in Luke chapter 4 before. Now we're in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to begin uh, reading with, with verse 1. Again, a very, very familiar story. Uh, so here we go. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with them at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Again, very, very familiar story. We know it. We know it very well. There are some universal messages powerful messages that come out of this passage. Uh, the first thing that we recognize and is valuable to, to you and I today is that it was not hard work that achieved this outcome. Now, our current mindset, the world's mindset, and the one that we have, that we have also picked up in the Christian church is that the harder you work, the more successful you are. And we teach it everywhere. We start teaching it to little ones who are, who are beginning to play little dribblers. We teach it to kindergartners. We teach it to elementary kids, junior high kids, high school kids. We teach it in college. We teach it for people getting careers. The harder you work, the more successful you are. It is the standard. Until you come to the Christian world. And there's a realization that it is a paradox because what creates abundance in the Christian life? He says, if you want to produce much, what do you learn to do? You learn to abide. Hard work in all things God does not create great outcome. 
It's a paradox. Rest, great rest, creates great outcome. So we recognize right up front, as we begin to look at these messages, these powerful and relevant messages, that hard work, though it always has a place, a relevant place in our story, does not create the supernatural outcome. It may create a great yield, but it won't create a supernatural. That has to have somebody else's hand on it. Another of those powerful messages is that past failures should never discourage current obedience. He's saying, I want you to cast out your nets. What immediately, where did, what was Peter's statement? We've done it. We fished all night and we caught nothing. And, but, it, but then there's this nevertheless. It would have been better had there not been a conversation at all. Had there not been the necessity of a never, nevertheless. It would have been better in the story if Simon Peter had heard Jesus say it and say, yes. Yes, Lord. Simple, yes, Lord. Because we, are, we get wrapped up in this. We've tried it before. We've done it before. We've, we've put all the effort into it before. We've done everything we were supposed to do, and there was no outcome. And so it's, it can actually, that past failure really does have a huge impact on current obedience. They really were hesitant. And we're going to see here a painful outcome. The third one, circumstances may not seem right, but obedience should not depend on right circumstances. So it's saying, yep, what we did back here shouldn't affect obedience, but how things look in front of us shouldn't affect obedience either. The circumstances, the situations, all that it looks like out here, it may not look like this is the right time. Obedience has to be obedience. We hear without an evaluation of what was behind us. We obey without a consideration of what's the circumstances that are in front of us. Obedience, <coughs> excuse me, should not depend on either one. And then the fourth of these big messages that we can quickly see in this is that partial obedience will not bring in the full harvest. It's a big one. Partial obedience. Now, again, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, you may get to read obedience. Mine reads as disobedience. Again, you're going to read, you're going to read your, your version and say Peter was obedient. I read my version and tell you that Peter was disobedient. Now, you get to decide which one's right. Because here here's what I read in verse 4. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, here's Peter's, here's Peter's answer. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Obedience or disobedience? No, there's a specific word in there that tells us the answer. Listen to what Jesus said to do. Let down your nets, plural. What did Simon Peter do? Let down his net. 
He took a cautious approach because I'm washing these things, I'm cleaning these things. If I go out and let them all down, that means they've got to all be washed again. They've got to all be dried again. They've all got to be handled again. So he is partially obedient. In what category does partial obedience fall? Disobedience. Now, some of your Bibles, depending on which version you have, will say that Jesus said, let down your net. Any of your Bibles say that? Y'all all have the Christian Bible? Nets? Yeah. Well, there's many, there are many Bibles in various translations that changes the word nets in verse, uh, in verse 4 to a singular net. But again, when we understand something here, Jesus already knew the size of, of what they were going to catch. Partial obedience says, I'm failing to recognize what Jesus has already given and Jesus has already acknowledged. He knows the size of what he's gathered in fish and he, his instruction was cast out your nets. Peter casts out a net. The net begins to break. He calls for help. They let down the other net, which was what Jesus said in the first place, and they took in the great draught of fish. So those are large messages coming out of the scripture. But I want to talk about something a little bit more specific. Uh, I, want us, I want us to look at verse 8. Simon Peter's handling of this moment. When Simon Peter saw it, he saw the size of the catch. From now both boats, all the nets, all the nets full, he, he actually sees it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So here's, here's the, the first thing I want us to get. I want us to get first the obvious. Peter's acknowledgement that he was a man, that he was a sinful man, and that he knew it. He is absolutely acknowledging that. So the first thing that I would point out that go, goes along with these big messages is that we have to always recognize in this particular moment uh, our limitation in contrast to the one that we stand before. We will never, we will never see the supernatural. We will never experience the unbelievable, the outstanding, until we recognize that it is our limitation, fully acknowledged, but fully acknowledged in the presence of the one who has no limitation. We have to get that right. If we think we can mess it up two ways. One is we fail to see our limitation and we think that the success is depending on us. That'll mess it up. So that's misunderstanding me. The second, which is probably the more extreme, is that we fail to recognize 
the, limit, the, the limitlessness of the one in, in, before whom we stand. That will mess it up equally much. Simply because there's, we just don't acknowledge or see, even if I recognize my limitation, I will create a limitation around the one who is limitless. I will begin to consider him in strange terms, and, and that's often what we put on display. When we were talking about this from Luke chapter 4, just a few nights ago, one of the things that still strikes me is that if we don't acknowledge, if we, if we don't recognize uh, that what it means, he's reading from Isaiah 61, and he's talking about what's actually occurring, and that he will set captives free, and that he will open prison doors, and he will transform lives. If we misunderstand him, and we, and we don't anticipate the miraculous, if we don't anticipate or expect the supernatural, then we're making a bold announcement to the world. And it's the, it's the announcement they don't want to hear. Because if I remove the supernatural testimony of God, then I'm announcing to the world, I want you to see the power of God the goodness of God, I want you to acknowledge the supernatural reality of God simply by watching how I behave. That's the announcement. If I don't expect anything of God more than what I can expect of myself, the great announcement is, and this is the announcement. This is the announcement of the Christian world today. You become a Christian, you get to act like me. That's what we're telling them. You get to behave like me. You get to go where I go. You get to go to church like I get to go to church. You get to do this. You get to do this. You get involved at the church. You get to give your money. You get to teach a Sunday school class. You get to do, as a believer, what I do. And guess what? They're having a hard time seeing the difference between what they're doing and what, and what we're doing. We're claiming that our behavior becomes the great evidence of God. Because if I take away the supernatural, what am I left with? It's just me trying to behave good. If we recognize that our, I'm limited here, I can do all I can do. I can be faithful in all that I can be faithful, but I cannot create what the one who is limitless can actually create. This is Peter's acknowledgement. I am a man, I am a sinful man, and I know it. We, the supernatural will not be evident in any of us without that, without that perspective. Our, fail, our, our failure in his presence uh, is simply this. Only a sinful man will seek a savior. Only a man who recognizes his limits will seek a limitless God. We won't find him unless we acknowledge, as Peter did, I, I, I have extreme limitations. 
I can't do what God does. The second that's, that to me is, that stands out in this, uh, with some hindsight, I think Peter should have offered a more appropriate prayer. Does, does this one sound a bit strange? This is what he said. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What would the appropriate prayer have been? Come to me, for I am a sinful man. Peter was saying, I'm sinful, depart. Man, upon the acknowledgement of who we are as a sinful man, the more appropriate prayer for all of us would be, come to me, for I am a sinful man. It is necessary and right when us, being unworthy, by faith leads us to, and draws us into his grace. You see, this great demonstration, when Simon Peter saw it, he, he certainly saw his limit and his failure. And so he comes and he, he's acknowledging I'm sinful. But what's he not acknowledging here? It's the same thing, again, that we fail to acknowledge. I'm a sinful man. I have, I ha I have done what I've done. But there is now someone who has just put on display his capability to change that story. How, how, why is it that so many believers still, call, still roll themselves into the category of a sinner? Again, you've heard me preach on this. I would never encourage anyone who is a child of God, a believer, to roll themselves into the category and call themselves a sinner ever again. That identity has been removed from us. He will never call us that. He would never identify us that as, a, as his child. He will never assign that title to one of his children. Why do we do it? Because I am acknowledging my limitation, but I am not acknowledging the enormity of his grace. I am not acknowledging the, the enormity of his power to transform me from something to something else. So most of us, in that limitation, pray the prayer that that's Peter's praying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. The reason we would pray that prayer continuing, we don't pray it out loud, we live it. The reason we would live it is because we don't acknowledge and understand the fullness of his grace that transformed our story. We don't understand righteousness. We don't understand the price he paid. We don't know what it means for he who knew no sin became sin that we might know the righteousness of God in him. We don't know the, the, the reality of that power and that transforming grace that's wrapped up in that verse. So we're left with the prayer because I, want, I truly want us all, and, and I, hope you can, I hope I can find words to describe this. I want us all to recognize that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what actually occurred, I do this in my office pretty often with that cup that sits there. I ask this question, 
How do we fill this cup? If, I, if, if speed were the essence, how would I fill the cup? Dunk it. Baptize it. Immerse it. So when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who is the baptizer? It's Holy Spirit. Baptizing us into, immersing us into what? Himself, the Holy Spirit. So it is a baptism by the Spirit and in the Spirit. We're being dunked into Him. Now, if I can get this picture right, I can then understand what, what Jesus is saying when it says, in him we live, in him we breathe, in him we have our being, because we exist in him. Okay. Yep. Because a, you will still sin, but you'll never be a sinner. It is. It, it does seem like it's semantics. It's truly not because when you were saved, he didn't just deal with what you were doing wrong. He dealt, dealt with who you are. He dealt with the fact that you're a sinner. He, he, he took that from you. You no longer have a sin nature. A sinner has a sin nature and can sin very naturally. You don't have a sin nature anymore. To, for you to sin, you have to go completely against the divine nature that now exists in you. You still have the capability of the act. You don't have the capability from the identity. Yeah, we get we get the we get the confession. We're to confess our sins, okay. in, according to First John chapter one. He says we're going to sin. Mm -hmm. I don't have a sin nature anymore. I'm a partaker of a divine nature now. Sin will no longer come naturally for the believer. That's a big thing. That's, that, that, that ought to be a real wake-up call that it's not natural for a, for a believer to sin. We have to act against our own nature to, to do it because we are, he moved us from the category of a sinner to a saint. We're uncomfortable with that, but that's what he actually did. That's what he calls me. I'm a saint who still has the capability of acting in my flesh. I've just never carried, I'll never carry the identity of being a sinner again. Does it clear it up at all? Okay. I just didn't understand the difference. Yeah, it's not the action that, that creates the identity. It's always the identity that creates the action. We get, we, we get that backwards. That's why I asked this question. When does a liar become a liar? And the typical answer is, well, when they told a lie. No, because only a liar would tell the lie in the first place. You had to become something before you acted. Okay. That what, what I, was, what I, I hope to convey is that Simon Peter still saw himself at this point outside of Jesus. He saw himself in his limitation, but he didn't see himself in, fully in, in the capability of Jesus. Unfortunately, now I can understand it from Peter because they were, they were learning this. They were marching into it. 
we have all this history behind us. We've, we've got the 66 books. We've got the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We need to understand that my limitation now is only his limitation. Now, if I see myself outside of him, I can see myself as being very limited and him being limitless when I recognize I'm designed to function in him, in him is where I live, in him is where I breathe, in him is where I have my being, then I have only his limitation. And it would, it would dynamically change how we see ourselves in relationship in this story. Uh, again, it's, it's necessary and it's right when our unworthiness, and we recognize that by faith leads us and draws us into his grace, but that requires that we see him correctly. There was, we have to recognize there was a great salvation in this moment for great sinners. And we still have this tendency. We still have a tendency to run away from our Father's work. I mean, this is, Peter is cowering before Jesus he saw the awesomeness of what Jesus just did, and he, never, he didn't see himself as in any way being adequate to be a part of that great story. We, I hear it a lot, and I'm sure you do. You may not recognize it. I, I, my ear just picks it up. When somebody just really doesn't know how honestly, to recognize that they are a part of his great work. We have such a tendency to want to separate ourselves from it. Not to acknowledge that I have, that it was actually by these hands, by these feet. His power, yes. His word, yes. His wisdom, yes. His love, yes. It's him transforming. But it's not wrong, no glory in it, but it's not wrong to recognize that, that I am, because I'm in him, I'm a part of that story. It's, it's what allows us to experience the richness of who he is. I can, in some humility, separate myself and, 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 and bow myself. But the, but the honest truth, where we have a terribly difficult time finding ourselves to be comfortable is recognizing that if I live in him, that which he did strangely includes me. There's no glory in it for me. But, I, but it's very necessary for, for me, and it may be different for you, but it's very necessary for me. Sitting back in my office at, at 3.15 this afternoon, when this young woman was just startlingly set free. I mean, it just went from this to this, and just at three, and when I hit, I hit my phone at the moment of her transition or transformation, so we could capture it, so she could, it would become part of her proclamation of faith. I hit the phone; it was three fifteen. That's why I know exactly when it was. But at three fifteen, she was transformed. I got to be a part of that. I didn't do it. I don't get any glory from it, but I find great pleasure in it and know that the next time that somebody's sitting in my office in the same situation, we can find ourselves there again. 
If I remove myself from that story, I will isolate it and it won't ever build this personal history with God that every one of us need. We should be building a personal history from His Word, by His Spirit, in obedience. We, it, becomes our, it becomes the testimony, not of us, but of Him in us. But I tell you what, I, I love that moment. I love getting to be a part of that moment. I don't take any credit for it at all. But I truly love being a part of it. I love experiencing it because it's like everything else we do. It builds, it, it, it builds this reality for me that the next person coming in, when they sit down, I already have hope for them because of what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before that. When we separate ourselves from the things of God, we never build this personal history. And I would, and as I wrote in, in the notes here, do not run away from your master's or your father's work. Live in it. Recognize, recognize the proper place for it because I want you to be able to experience, I want to experience the blessing of it. You know, I, I, I love talking to Valton and, you know, farming, you know, because there's so many of these moments, you know, that, that he shares that there's no outcome. I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to just say it's because he's an excellent farmer, and he is. But you can't see some of the supernatural things that occur and say, well, that's just good farming. There's just God in it. But I don't want to take, I don't want to, I don't want to see what God did and remove Valton from the story. I want to see what God did and Valton and Diana be right in the middle of the story. I like that. I like recognizing that Peter and James and John were letting down the nets and participating in this great draw of fish. I can see the impact here that it, that it had on Peter. Why do your children come, grandchildren come, when they're hungry or when they're tired or hurt or in need? Why is that so natural for them? What's the, what's the most simple answer? Do what? Yeah. But why do they need comfort? Let's go back one more layer. Because they're children. They know they're children. They're not debating this. They come naturally hungry. They come naturally thirsty. They come naturally when they're hurt. They come naturally when they're in need because they're children. They don't hesitate. They don't come slowly. They don't question. And the reason that they can come that easily is because they've already built a confidence in you and what you're and, and the response you're going to show. What allows us to come easily hungry before the Father? What allows us to come in need before the Father or thirsty or, or broken? Why do we come naturally to the Father? Because he's our father. Uh, yeah, because it's the relationship. He's our Father, and He's proven Himself to be really good listener, 
really good help, really good comfort, really good strength, really good peace. And we come naturally to him because we have seen him in that relationship where we should. So here's where we come to. We should, instead of, as Peter did, saying, depart from me, the, the very relationship that we have, we get to see it in such good view. We get to zero in on it. We get to focus on this. Every need, every situation, every hunger, every thirst, everything that goes on in us, as it would have been wonderful to see in Peter, every challenge, every opportunity, let those things, by the nature of the relationship, bring you to the Father. Again, why? Because he's our Father, and we're his children. You see, this is remarkably simple. But you realize how few in the Christian world live that relationship. Because they don't see themselves well as a child. They see themselves as a sinner. They see themselves as a disappointment. They see themselves as a frustration. They see themselves as being rejected. They see themselves as alone. In so many ways that we misunderstand who we are as his children. Again, one, a, a big reason why we don't come is because we misunderstand ourselves. But to me, that one is far less frightening is the fact that we misunderstand him as our father. We have assigned him so many unfortunate qualities. We've assigned him so many strange things, so many strange perceptions. We misunderstand his grace because, you know, I, I, I linger on this a lot, especially with so many that I deal with. How many people see themselves so broken, I'm talking about believers, see themselves as so broken, such a disappointment because they didn't do this or they didn't do this or they've done this. They see themselves in that disappointment as somehow creating a division between them and God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent example. A total misunderstanding of who the Father is. That whole movie is the unraveling of his misunderstanding. One layer at a time so they could actually finally see who God really is. I can tell by the fragments, by the fragmentation of a believer and the Father that they do not understand the Father's love. They don't understand the Father's grace. They don't understand his mercy. They don't understand the relationship. They don't understand his purpose. They don't understand his discipline. Because you could not, I mean, again, dealing with this today, how can this believer seem and feel so powerless to overcome something that had been so pervasive in her story how could she live in that brokenness? Well, it's not difficult when you understand 
her understanding of, how, of herself and the way she thinks God looks at her, which drastically affects the way she looks at him. What Jesus was doing in this story was he was erasing Peter's misperception of who he was. I mean, this is very early in the story. This is him calling these men out, telling them, because he's about to tell them, as he does at the end of this, I will now make you fishers of men. From this point forward, you will fish for men. You see, can you see how necessary that would be? If I'm switching from fish to men, fish, hard work. Get out there, go early, stay late. The whole success is depending on hard work. But he changed that in this last fishing trip. He changed that and he showed them it wasn't hard work that caused you to catch these fish. It won't be hard work that causes you to catch men. You have to know that catching men is the result of your faith in a powerful, grace-filled, grace-defined, loving God. You don't know that? There will be no great draught of men brought into the kingdom. If you don't know that, it, that the only way that that works, you're not going to catch many if you can't tell them, show them, live in front of them the love of God. Nothing much will change. Meeting with a young man today and looking deep into the story, man, the Lord just really, I think he hit me and I think he hit Parker about the same time. There will be no great transformation. There will be no great healing until this person understands the depth of God's love for them. The barriers built will not come down until the love of God breaks them down. There's no, there's, there's no other power that can actually do that except the love of God. You weren't, you're, we're not going anywhere until that's known. You have to be able, and I, he won't get it. This young man won't get it if he doesn't hear that same love in my voice. He won't get it if he doesn't hear that love in Parker's voice. He won't get it. The world won't get it until we recognize that I am immersed in him. That's where I live. In him I live. So that when my mouth opens, when my heart expresses, it's coming straight from him. My voice, his love. My heart, his tenderness. They'll never get it. But we don't get it either because we keep seeing ourselves as being outside of him instead of in him. And Jesus is doing a remarkable job as he's calling these men into this ministry to walk with him as, as apostles, as disciples, 
He's doing a remarkable job of announcing to them first everything that you've known about hard work that gets results. I hope by this action I've just erased. It now happens because you see yourself for who you are and you see me for who I am. We can change the world with that recipe. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.